Well, this is the series. Have we got that slide there? This is the series that we're going to uh, look at this next three weeks, if we can hang in there, the myth and miracle of marriage. Yes, we're going to look at a few myths, and uh, we're going to talk about the miracle of marriage. Is that okay this morning? Fantastic. Let's get into this. Now, um, I, before we get any further, I want to say this, that uh, um, the, the big idea for this particular series is this, that marriage really matters. It matters to God, and if it matters to God, it needs to matter to us. And it's far important, far more important than we, than we realize. So that's the big idea, that we're going to encourage and equip those who are married, and maybe those who are thinking of marriage, to have the tools and the spiritual understanding that we know God wants us to have. Now, I stand here, and what qualifies me to speak to you on marriage? Can I tell you the truth? Not a whole lot, all right? What would qualify you to also stand on this stage to speak to us? Probably not a whole lot either. I'm not an expert in this. I have 21 years of marriage to my wife, Karen. And uh, before I go any further, uh, in a spirit of transparency, I want you to know what's coming from this stage these next few weeks is realness, not perfection. Is that all right? I need to a little bit more because uh, I'm going to become a little bit more vulnerable just in a moment if you allow me. Is that all right? All right. What I'm about to share with you, Karen certainly knows each and everything, all right? And so I want to share with you a little bit of realness, not perfection, uh, and a spirit of transparency, what Karen and I have after 21 years of marriage, but also what we don't have. All right? And so let me start off by saying that we have 21 years of marriage, but we also have 21 years of ministry. It's been a partnership together. We also have two teenagers. <laughs> they're not here this morning, they're coming tonight. Um, why didn't you tell me about teenage life, by the way? You know, growing up, it's just. Uh... Anyway, we have two teenagers, and uh, we have three sponsored children in the Philippines that we love dearly, very much a part of our family. We have three cats and one rabbit. The three cats' names, the cat lovers in the house will understand, we're Winston, George, and Matilda. We call her Tilly for short. And that's the part of our family. Um, we serve God together. Uh, we are best friends. We, have, we share a united vision Together we go on a weekly date night, but for us it's a weekly date kind of breakfast, <laughs> brunch or lunch. We have Fridays and Saturdays off together, that's our weekend, and uh, we generally, while the kids are at, at school, we go on a weekly um, date lunch or sometimes breakfast, isn't it? And we enjoy those times together. Um, we have genuine in intimate conversations together, generally about life, about travel, we love to travel about ministry, about God, about our two awesome children that we love dearly. We are truly blessed as a couple. That's what we have. <laughs> um, we certainly know that we haven't arrived, that marriage, like life, is a journey. And so which moves me on to that we've been through a lot together in those 21 years. We've lost both my parents in that time to challenges, health challenges. We've had our challenges. We've had hardships. We've had um, our struggles. And we've had intense conversations, which is past the language for we argue. <laughs> we argue. What do we argue about? 
we argue about how each other drives. Sometimes we drive each other crazy. Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes we argue about which movie we're going to watch. We're the only couple. I'm getting vulnerable here. Sometimes we argue about who's going to cook. (laughs) We settle that argument pretty quickly. Because when you have the master chef, you have the master cleaner. (laughs) We argue about parenting. We argue about finances. This is where I go a little deeper. Uh, In spite of the cute and beautiful exterior, sometimes Karen can be a little stubborn. But sometimes I can be a whole lot stressed. Karen is on time, and I am very late. Karen is impulsive, and I am considered. (laughs) Wait, there's more to come. Karen, Karen is not so obsessively neat and tidy. I am obsessively neat and tidy. <laughs> Karen likes the bright. I like mood lighting. Couples, help me out here. Am I, are, you re- are you relating? Yeah, good, 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 thank you. Give me a nod. That's all. <laughs> Car- wait for it. Karen is a realist. I'm an optimist. Karen is an introvert. I'm an extrovert. So Karen is reasonably quiet. And I'm reasonably loud. Karen couldn't care less about sports. <laughs> I'm a sports tragic. Karen squeezes the toothpaste in the middle of the tube. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I squeeze it at the correct end. You're outvoted. <laughs> I love you with all my heart. Bring on the next 21 years. <laughs> oh, she's got a friend. A friend in, in toothpaste squeezing. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, so there's some realness. Not perfection. We don't have a perfect marriage. We are very real in our relationship. We have the ups and downs, just like I'm sure many of you. So as we take that Sunday mask off for this next 30 minutes or so, let's just leave it off and let's have a real conversation. Because I do need to say this before we move any further. With all the sincerity that I can muster up in this heart of mine, what I'm about to share with you, I share with tremendous sensitivity. And I share with the deepest of understanding there are people here today who have experienced pain and brokenness in divorce, in separation, and in loss. Now, some of you didn't want that to happen, and it still hurts today. Some of you would say that I did some silly things, and it is my fault. I want you to hear me loud and clear, and before I can go any further, my heart through this next couple of weeks is certainly not to create any guilt, any shame, or condemnation for what has happened in the past. 
But here is what I do want to do as we move forward from here. I want to help build a foundation today that we can build upon for our marriages in the future that will not only last, but will be God-honoring and also generation-changing. We cannot change the past, but if we can be honest here today, I do want to share with you about what Scripture teaches us. And so all those in favor say aye before we move forward. Fantastic. All right. Let me pray. Father, this morning, it's been our delight already just to bring you our praise and our worship in song. It's a beautiful time that we get to share together. As we embark on this next couple of weeks together, two to three weeks, I think it is, I pray, God, that uh, you would help us to see what you see. And as we open your word, I pray that it would be like fresh and living water to our souls, a word to each and every one of us. May it be your voice that we hear. I pray that you would even nudge us, that you would convict us, that you would bring hope to us, that you would draw us in to your love, and may we find that fresh sense of connection to you. Help us, we pray, to know what you want, and we thank you for your love, for your goodness, for your grace, and for your mercy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. This is what we're going to do as we move forward. Is that all right? Let's move forward from here. Because I, this morning, I want to share with you the how of marriage, how God designed marriage, uh, what marriage is, and why marriage matters. I do want to say right from word go that I'm looking from as this as a biblical message of God's plan for marriage. I do want to pre-warn you that um, there, there are a few words that I do mention that might require a little parental guidance throughout our journey. I'm very sensitive to that, so nothing really to fear, but I just want you to know. But also, before I do move forward, this is part one of two weeks that I'm going to share today. So pretty much, it's going to be a pretty abrupt ending um, to this morning's message because I've only got so much time to share with you this morning. And so as soon as I finish, I'm going to invite Wayne to come and lead us in communion. And so next week is going to be an absolute beauty as we continue on in part two of my message today. Is that all right? Fantastic. How, what, and why? First of all, let's have a look at the how. How has God designed marriage? Let's look at what Jesus says in the New Testament. As he refers back to the book of Genesis, and it's quoted by um, Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, and he's quoting Genesis. Check this out. He says this, At the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become, say this with me, one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Uh, first of all, I think we need to identify here, and it's this, that marriage is God's idea and it's God's plan. It's not a human plan. 
It's not a human idea. It's not even a, a tradition to be thrown out. You see, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's Jesus, what he has to say. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul writes specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 of the benefits of singleness. And let's have a look at that just for a moment, if we could. Can I address that for a moment? Um, because Paul, of course, was not married. Uh, one of the disciples, anyone know the name of the disciples who was definitely married? Peter, very good, Peter. You can pick that up in Matthew chapter 8. Peter was definitely married. So Paul, um, he was a single adult and he wasn't married according to what we know through Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. I love what the message paraphrase says here. It says this, that God gives the gift of the single life to some and the gift of the married life to others. Is that what it says? God gives the gift of single life to some and the gift of married life to others. In our older translations, it says the word celibacy. You're familiar with the word celibacy? And it's a voluntary kind of um, thing that people take on in their lives. But how do you know? How do you know if you have this gift? How do you know if you have the gift of singleness, the gift of celibacy? If you have any desire to get married someday, you do not have this gift. Pretty simple. The gift of singleness is when you are perfectly happy to live the rest of your life unmarried. Let's bust a couple of myths. I want to keep on the singleness path just for a moment, because there are many amongst us. Um, myth number one is this, that the myth of being married is being normal. The myth of being married is being normal. Uh, let me just speak into that just for a moment if I could, because the assumption is this, that marriage is the normal state. And so to be single is somehow to be lacking. You think of the areas of society that tell us this. Uh, movies would tell us this. Uh, books that we read would tell us this. TV that we watch communicate to us that somehow it's to be Lacking, and sometimes, if we're honest, even churches communicate that. Add to this the enormous pressure amongst us in society to be sexually active outside of marriage, and then singleness can be an incredibly intense challenge, in which married people, by the way, too often forget. Just a word, if I could just speak to single people amongst us, that I first of all want to say this, that you are a great example amongst us, to us. In fact, I would go as far to say, the fact that you are here journeying with us in this, um, seeking to follow God, devoting yourself to be Jesus-centered and others-focused, many of you, of course, involved in regular acts of service around here, seeking to be together in community with us, giving of your time and your energy to a cause greater than yourself, I want you to know this delights the heart of God himself. You see, I'm not comparing you to this, but it is our aim to become Jesus-centered. Jesus himself was, of course, single. He lived a single life. And his plan for his church was to have his church be a community of married people 
and single people where we value and respect each other. That's the first myth that I'm going to bust this morning, that the myth of being married is being normal. Second myth I would like to bust this morning is this, that marriage will solve all of my problems. Who can testify to that? (laughs) Sorry about that. Marriage will solve all of my problems. You see, a lot of people also think that marriage creates problems, which is also wrong. So marriage doesn't solve all my problems. Marriage doesn't create all my problems. In fact, marriage reveals my problems. You see, if I was cranky before I got married... Marriage is going to reveal my crankiness. If I was a perfectionist before we got married, (laughs) I'm going to be a perfectionist. I bring that perfectionism into our marriage. (laughs) If I'm insecure before I got married, you get the idea? See, marriage doesn't solve our problems. Marriage doesn't create our problems. In fact, marriage reveals our problems. You're a bit quiet. Processing? Yeah. Third myth, is that all right? Marriage is about my fulfillment. Let's bust that one just for a moment. Can we speak about that for a moment? And this got me thinking as I was preparing this. Who do you think had the best marriage in the Bible? (laughs) You look back, let's go way back to the first couple, Adam and Eve. Well, they had their honeymoon in paradise, but it kind of went downhill after that, didn't it? David, David, a man after God's own heart. He was, it was just, it was a disaster. He was a disaster as a husband. Solomon, Solomon. Solomon was worse. What about Job? When Job's life got hard, Mrs. Job told him to what? Curse God and die, Job. (laughs) You see, nowhere in the Bible does a couple get married and live as the fairy tales tell us. And I know some of you, in fact, you had those dreams when you were a young girl that you were going to be his prince princess, and he was going to be your prince, sorry. And it didn't unfold the way that you'd planned it. And it's a bit like a fairy tale. We watch those movies, and if only that would happen, and it doesn't. Nowhere in the Bible does a a couple get married and live happily ever after. Why? Because marriage doesn't save anybody. Only Jesus does. And the way God designed marriage, I'm talking about this a bit more tonight in the dating topic, is like a three-legged stool. Him, her, and God. And without him, that three-legged stool can easily fall over. And so the Bible lifts this value of marriage really high 
but it's not the fulfillment of our dreams. It's a place in where we get that opportunity to learn, but we're also given that opportunity to learn what it means to truly love. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that, what kind of love it is. And so we wrongly believe that to be fulfilled and happy in life, you have to find the one. Yeah? You've heard that? You have to find the one that you do not need another person to complete. You know that movie, I think it was Jerry Maguire, does that ring a bell? Where he says, you complete me. Remember that line? You complete me. You complete me. (laughs) From a biblical perspective, from a Christ-following perspective, can I say this and hear my heart that it's Christ It's Jesus Christ who completes you. And then we can do what he calls us to do. Matthew 22, can I support this biblically, what I'm saying? Matthew 22, Jesus was asked the question, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response was to love your spouse with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, wasn't it? No, it wasn't, by the way. No, it wasn't. It was to love who? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you love him, it flows on from there. Now, if that day comes when you do meet that amazing, perfect person, instead of saying, I think I met the one, maybe you turn that around and kind of say, I think I just met the two. (laughs) Why? Because in a Jesus-centered marriage, Jesus is your one. And your spouse is your two. You see, there are many things, isn't there? Many of you would know that. There are many things that marriage can do, but there are many things that marriage cannot do. I'm going to talk about this in part two next week. Wait for it. But it does have a God-designed function. And as I said, the big idea it has a far, it's far more important than we realize. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, says this. The writer says this. Has we got that up on the screen? Is that okay? Hebrews chapter 13. Here we go. How do you think we're going with that in society? Marriage should be honoured by everyone. Sadly, no longer is marriage honoured by everyone. It's been dismissed. It's been demeaned, it's been delayed, it's been disrespected, it's been redefined, it's been ridiculed, dismissed. (laughs) It's just an institution. It's man-made, it's for an older generation, it's for other cultures. Who needs marriage? It's been demeaned. Well, there goes your career. It's been delayed, sometimes for the wrong reason, sometimes for the right reasons, sometimes for selfish reasons. We no longer live in a culture where marriage is honoured by everyone and even Christians fall for this trap. Before we dive into the big six, before we dive in, and I'll only get one through one today to tell you the truth, um, before we have a look at why marriage matters, I'd like to have a look at three approaches that I think society has. You may be able to think of more. I've thought of three. Three approaches that society has to marriage. The first one is a casual approach to marriage. 
a contractual approach to marriage and a covenantal approach to marriage. Just keep that one first one up there for the moment if we could. Just come back to the casual approach. This is where casual approach, no shame by the way, this is a casual approach to marriage where people do married things before they're married. We have that approach under this particular banner of, well, it's no big deal. It's just a piece of paper. We might as well get married. And so since marriage isn't that big of a deal and we love someone or we really like them a whole lot or it's convenient, we might as well move in together because after all, none of this really matters. You see, this is what happens when we have a casual approach to marriage. Whenever we have a casual approach to marriage, it also generally leads to a casual approach to sex. There you go, I said it. <laughs> as long as it's consensual, it's fine. No, it's no one else's business anyway. You see, a casual approach is where people do married things before they are married. And so since marriage isn't a big deal, and since sex isn't a big deal, we like each other, we may as well move in together, let's put our toothbrushes together, let's buy the couch, you buy the coffee table, and we do married things together. All of a sudden, things become a little complicated, she squeezes the toothpaste at the wrong end. <laughs> he leaves the toilet seat up. She doesn't replace the toilet rolls. He snores. She leaves a washing everywhere. They go their separate ways. She takes the toothbrush. He takes the couch. She takes the coffee table. And this sometimes, this sometimes happens over and over again, pretending to be married. And when it doesn't work out, sometimes over and over again, we practice divorce. Multiple times. And maybe, maybe... You look at the research yourself, I won't go into that. Maybe this is a result of sometimes divorce in society. Now, this could be a consequence to a casual approach to marriage. I'll move on. What was the second approach? Contractual. Very good. Contractual approach to marriage. What I mean by this is that marriage is a contract. You sign the dotted line and we sign off an agreement. I'm in if you are in. I don't trust you fully, and so we're going to sign our lives away. We do this deal, and we shake hands on it, and generally it's temporary. Generally it has an expiry date, and we protect the rights of the people who are signing. It limits their responsibility. As long as you live up to the, agree, to the agreed upon terms, it's a deal. But if you don't, we are going to go our separate ways. So we have the casual approach, which is no big deal to marriage. We have the contractual approach to marriage, which I'm in, as long as you sign this. Then we have the covenantal approach to marriage. Now, this is based on mutual commitment. Unconditional commitment motivated by a sacrificial love for the other. We are both in. 100% with every part of our being, whatever it takes. Let me take you back in time to a Hebrew wedding. Incredible. Incredible. But before I do, can I explain this? <clears throat> the Hebrew term for the word for covenant is the word berit. Can you really say the word berit? Berit. Very good. Berit. Covenant. Berit. Which means a cutting. 
It means a binding together, or literally, it means a blood covenant. A blood covenant. In the Old Testament, let's talk about covenant just for a moment. Whenever a covenant was established, was created, there would be that shedding of blood. An animal would generally be sacrificed. And of course, under the new covenant, the New Testament, the new way forward with Jesus at the center, Jesus, of course, shed his blood for humanity. Now, what I'm about to share is a little graphic, but it's beautiful. I've decided not to go the whole way. Do your own research because it gets even more graphic. But if you're invited to an Old Testament Hebrew wedding, it's a beautiful occasion. A man and a woman would stand before the priest of God. The priest would take the knife and the priest would cut into the hands of, first of all, the groom and then the bride. And of course, they would start to bleed and the priest would join the hands together, causing the blood to blend together. This was symbolizing that life was becoming one. The priest would take a cord and bind their hands together, showing the two had become one flesh. Beautiful, righteous, holy, although a little gory. It's a beautiful picture of covenant of the couple starting together. And I guess, can I just kind of wrap this little bit up and kind of say that marriage really matters, but so does the gift of love making. So what is marriage? What is marriage? Marriage is a holy covenant established by God that from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. So help me, God, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an exclusive commitment. It, it is an exclusive commitment. And it matters to God, and if it matters to God, it matters to us. I'm going to move on from that now and talk about why it matters so much to God. Is that all right? My first point, I'm only going to have time to do this first point. I'm going to invite Wayne to come up and share with us around communion. Why, matters, why marriage matters so much? Six reasons. I'm only going to share one this morning. And it's this, the first reason why marriage matters is that marriage is the foundation for intimate companionship. That's the first reason. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11 says this, but remember that in God's plan, men and women need each other. If you're a man here this morning, guess what? You need women in your life. Women, this morning, guess what? You need men in your life. And why? Because neither of us carry the full image of God. But together, guess what? We do. And it's a beautiful image of God that he wants us to see. And God wired us this way. 
that God created up gender. God created up sex, amen? (laughs) And God created marriage. It's his idea. He's the inventor of it, and he created it. Genesis chapter 2 gives us the story behind this that he goes about creating. It's a beautiful story, and it says this, that God creates Adam first, not Eve. Why? I think we soon find out. You can't do it alone. Check this out. Check this out. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good. Everyone say that. It is not good. It is not good for the man to live alone. I need to make a helper for him. This word helper, press pause on that for a moment. This word helper actually means ally. Ally. Um, Companion. Um, Friend. To do life together in community. It goes on, the story goes on in verse 21 to 22 of Genesis 2. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a, say this with me, a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. Everyone say, ouch. (laughs) This is the first surgery recorded in, in the Bible, by the way. He took one of his ribs. I don't know if you've ever hurt a rib. I fell over on a bike once and I hurt. It really hurt. Anyone kind of identify? Yeah, it hurts, right? Anyway, so, and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Notice a, a, an old rabbi once said this, that the rib being from the, from the side of Adam is not a bone from Adam's head that she should be over him or a bone from his foot that she should, be, she should be under him, but from his side that she should be next to him, from under his arm that he might protect her, and from next to his heart that he might love her. Intimate. Companion, that beautiful? You know, intimate companions. And so... As a pastor, I've conducted a number of weddings. I'd say probably just over 100 weddings in the 21 years that we've been in ministry together. And one of the things I I really like about modern weddings is that people these days are writing their own vows. And they tend to express a little bit more of themselves. And you get to hear their love from each other rather than that sense of, I do, I do. You get to hear a bit of their heart. Now, there is, of course, a downside to, to this, that they tend to leave out what really matters, all right? And so I have to remind couples, don't forget, in sickness and in health, or richer or poorer, because these, this is why we are here to conduct your, to hear, and it's a very romantic part of the wedding, we are here to hear your, everything else is just fluff and bubble, we are here to, we are, it is, we are here to hear your promises from one to each other and what you say to each other matters because you're going to take this into eternity. But I will love you as long as the sun shines. And it rains tomorrow. <laughs> I will love you as long as you make me feel great. <laughs> I will love you because you're beautiful or you're handsome. I will love you as long as we both shall love. Hmm. I will love you until death do us part. <laughs> uh, this is conditional love, and of course, conditional love does not make a marriage last. That last. That's the first reason that God created marriage. I'll give you the second one, and I'm going to invite Wayne to come and to lead us into a time of communion. God created marriage. Let's go to the second one, if we could, please. 
for the multiplication of the human race. Now we're really starting to get into this. We are really starting to warm up. I'm going to leave it right there for us to return next week. Not just that. Bring friends, bring family.